We would like to advise that the following program may contain adult themes, occasional nudity, and language that may offend some listeners. Thank God it's... Welcome to Studio 222 at the ABC in Ultimo for another edition of Thank God It's Friday. I'm Richard Glover and please welcome this week's remotely connected gang, James Colley, Gene Kitson and Tommy Jean. Hello. With the music from the TGF Music Files, it's the great Virginia Gay with her show Calamity Jane. But first, let us check that you are up with this week's news. Who made a crude reference to living in a cave. James Colley. Well, this was actually New South Wales Health, and it wasn't so much about living in a cave. It was just reminding you that you can only leave your cave for essential reasons. You can never be more than five k's for your <laughs> cave unless it's an hour of exercise. So if you're chasing a mammoth, catch it quickly. <laughs> just get in there quick from your cave. Um, it, it might have been a reference, though, as well from uh, Mr. Uh, Mr. Morrison, the Prime Minister. Oh, yes, I've heard of him, yes. But that would be an absurd thing for a Prime Minister to say during a pandemic, surely. There was a reference to a 2013 animated film, was there not? Oh, okay, yes. <laughs> a reference, a, a wonderful moment where on one day, the day before he was talking about, you know, the, the, the light is always, uh, the night is always darkest just before the dawn. And the next day, like very Churchillian, very like a uh, uh, big and pompous leadership. And the next day he was like, who here's seen the Croods? Have you all seen the Croods? It made me feel very bad because I like to feel I'm up with things, but I'd never heard of this obscure <laughs> reference that was suddenly being used by the Prime Minister to prove his case that we should leave the cave. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, also, I, have I haven't been in the up. cinema for a while. Sorry, Jen. Yeah, uh, uh, Jen, did you know this, uh, this movie that the Prime Minister referenced? Well, yeah. Well, it's about a family who want to live in a cave except for one young girl who wants to get out because her iPhone can't get any reception. <laughs> so he's referencing – it's a pretty crude analogy, but I agree with James. Like, it's really it's, – it's very childish, isn't it, to, have, to treat us all like children. Get in – get into your cave. Get out of your cave. Get into your cave. And, you know, people can take it personally, like especially people who live in caves might be offended by that. And McGowan in um, the Premier of Western Australia, he took it very personally and he said that he stayed his living normally and not in caves. Yeah, well, he, he rather likes his cave. He, well, he likes his border, doesn't he? He likes his border. Yeah. More than fact, that, I don't, I've know, seen the, a lot of mines. Uh, mines strike me exactly. as caves. I think West exactly. Australia's caves are, are doing quite well for themselves. <laughs> the $6 billion cave. Yeah, yeah exactly. I think, I think if they're going to, if the Prime Minister wants to quote movies as his COVID strategy to get out of this, he needed better movies. You know, like I would have been much better if he'd have been like, you know, I, we got a plan, so what we're going to do is get a DeLorean <laughs> and go back in time. And if we can just get back to 2018, make a couple of adjustments, and then if that doesn't work out, we'll go back further. It'll, that, that's, yeah, you know, can't, a can't good we go, movie. Can't we go back to Robert Menzies, you know, something like that? 
And if that doesn't work, we're going to go deep into the future and get a robot and send him back. A vaccinator. James. for me to defend the Prime Minister, but I think he's been doing his best to take us back in time. And I, I'm shocked that you don't think so. Uh, I think he tried to. I think he thought of using other other films like Despicable Me, but it might have been counted as a bit of a free kick. He could have used SpongeBob SquarePants because the latest SpongeBob SquarePants is about courage and hope, you know. So that would have been quite good, except that then that might have been offensive to people who are incontinent. You've got to watch your references if you're the Prime Minister. James Colley, Jean Kitson and Tommy Dean are with us. Who offered a special treat to all those who'd rolled up their sleeves? Jean Kitson. Oh, well, this is about Gladys offering us all a treat if we got vaccinated. And when I think of Gladys and a treat, I, of course, think of Daryl Maguire. <laughs> and I thought, you know, like hoping a lazy 5.5 million might come my way. Because I, I don't know whether you know this. Richard, but I set up my own association. It's the Australian Cocktail Target Association. I set it up a few months ago where, you know, we have a smallish membership, but we're all trying to determine the best, you know, cocktail ever. So we get together and I was hoping hoping my Gladys might throw us a little bit extra to help service our members. But indeed, the treat, treat wasn't even... Um, the hairdressers, I thought maybe one vax, you could get a blow dry, two vaxes, you could get your roots done, you know, a COVID test, you could get a free tat. But it wasn't even that. The treat was that we could all meet up in groups of five. For a picnic. It's a picnic. A, well, five. Where do these numbers come from? It's so damn arbitrary. Like, Five, there is only two permutations you can get from a group of five, and that is a three and a two or a five, right? Yeah. But if it was six, like I've crunched the numbers here. I hope you realize. With six, you can get four permutations. You get two groups of three, three groups of two, or a group of a three and a <laughs> two and a, a four and a, no, I don't yeah. know, a four and a two and then a six. So if it was six, we could have much more fun. Yeah, Where, but the problem, Tommy. The problem, Gene, is the catering. See, five is the perfect number for a, a charcoal chicken. <laughs> that's like ideal. And, of course, everyone's going to bring a plate, and that's exactly the right amount of sides. You know, somebody will bring the salad. Somebody will bring the bread. Somebody will bring a dessert. And somebody will bring something that's deeply disappointing and will be ignored the entire time. And perfect division. Of the five, one's a child. So the the bottle of Chardonnay goes very nicely in, into four. Yes, absolutely. Exactly. And it's actually devastating for me because I'm a lot of my friend's sixth favourite person. So I'm <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm talking about. very locked in. Yeah, they often call James number six, you know, in any invitation list. He's the one just under no, the cutoff. the sixth beetle. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't even walk in five. Because you can walk in two, you know, three groups of two, but three can't walk, mm, can yeah. we? No. There's always, and I'm always the one that has to walk in the gutter <laughs> or, you know, dodge the trees on the sidewalk. Know, five, five's like the ideal number for that sort of spread out triangle where they're walking in slow motion as the building <laughs> behind them explodes. <laughs> Perfect well, symmetry. I'm a, 
I'm a lifelong basketball fan and five is exactly the number you need to field one side of the court, which means that if I get my picnic and another picnic, well, we can get to playing. Yeah, maybe maybe that's a, there's a secret basketball fan in cabinet. James, you know, lots of people, there, there was a treat promised and there was lots of speculation. As Gene said, a lot of people thought it'd be hairdressing. Uh, other people uh, had other ideas. Well, what treat were you looking forward to? And does a picnic quite, uh, you know, stack up to your expectations? Well, I I had honestly thought that the treat for getting vaccinated is that you get to live during a pandemic, (laughs) which seemed like a pretty good reward for me. But I suppose I was hoping maybe maybe a Mr. Whippy van would go around. We each get an ice cream, something of that sort, something to really help us out here. I feel like the picnic doesn't hugely stack up for me because, frankly, COVID has not been a walk in the park, and I don't think a sit in the park is any way inappropriate for it. <laughs> well, we have got, of our three panellists, two are in hotspot LGAs, uh, Tommy and, and James. How, how's life in the hotspot, James? Oh, it's, it's actually a wonderful life in the hotspot here. I've been using it as a lot of motivation because we're, we're on much stricter routines, stricter exercise programs. So now uh, when I need to go out for my run for a day, I will run 35 minutes in one direction, and then only have 25 to get back before it's a crime. And that's really <laughs> great motivation. You have to run fast to get the five kilometres in, in time. Tommy, you're in a hot spot, uh, LGA. Uh, you know, is this treat the, the sort of treat that you, you wanted? Because you're not even allowed to have five. You just have to have family members, household members in the park. Well, it works out nicely. My family is the number five. So it feels like we're finally going to get to all of that family time my wife has so desperately craved. Uh, no longer fighting over various internet streaming services and yelling from other rooms. We're all going to go out into the park and agree that none of us like potato salad. <laughs> it makes no sense. Potato salad is the stupidest thing the Germans ever invented. Why did well, they do na- it? Except for Nazism. No, that Nazism actually was a rise against potato salad. And then it just got out of hand after that. They said, you call that white? I'll show you white. <laughs> I'll show you white. <laughs> What's the perfect but, What's the perfect picnic food if it's not uh, if it's not potato salad? No, I don't. I don't. There is no perfect picnic food. Deviled eggs was the one we always had. Uh, then once you got through that, and I, it was kind of like the evolution of chicken. We'd have deviled eggs, uh, and then that would give rise to the chicken, and then after that we'd have some sort of custard. So it de-evolved back into the egg dish. Uh, we were a poultry people. Growing up, my my grandfather was a was a chicken farmer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> see, see, I'm 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 unconv- you know I'm unconvinced about picnics generally. You know, eating your food on the grass with ants crawling all over you, and no, no. Uh, I th- I think the, the the table and chair were great inventions. Great inventions. And I, picnics picnics are worse. Picnics are like camping, except you don't have the excuse of being so far away from your house. We're constantly going back. We we have a park right outside of our door, so it's quite convenient. Uh, but then it's just, oh, where's the salt? Oh, I'll be right back. Oh, where's the chips? Oh, I'll be right back. Oh, I need it. Where's the, I'll be right back. Did anybody get the, I'll be right back. And then pretty soon, we're all inside the house. And just, Why don't we just use the dining table right here where everything is and it's quite comfortable. <laughs> James, are you, uh, are you picnic positive? I am. It's a great throwback to me for my teenage years when there was nowhere to go. I couldn't afford to go anywhere anyway. If it was open, we all just sat about in a park. We're hoping something would happen. We're trying to drink and get away with it before anyone spotted us. This is this is my teen years. We're finally back. The derelicts of Sydney think, well, this is us. We're great. Exactly. <laughs> Jean, are you, are you picnic positive, Jean? Well, we only really ever had 
picnics as such when we were driving from Victoria to New South Wales to visit grandparents. So what we'd do is we'd open the boot and we'd all sit in the boot so we wouldn't get the ants and stuff because we'd try for a good picnic spot and there was always something really, some insect that wanted to attack you. And so (laughs) we would end up in the car. So like the drive-in, you know, like the car became – you know, where we'd go back to and eat on the road. And we'd have things like boiled eggs and we'd have maybe sandwiches and that, you know, and then we'd get in the car and then we'd get car sick and then we'd have to stop and someone would have to throw up. That's what I remember about picnics. <laughs> Not the romantic notion. I've, ne- I've never had a, a picnic in a, in a picnic basket. Never had a basket. Well, what about that that French famous French painting, you know, which has got the two gentlemen in suits and the three naked ladies? Oh, yeah. That that's five people, and sounds like a good picnic to me. Wait a minute, is it? I didn't realize that was the treat. Why didn't Gladys put that on the press briefing? We're with uh, James Colley, Gene Kitson, and Tommy Dean. Uh, who won Hearts by setting? Oh a... wait, did we, did we skipped over? Oh, did we go on? Did we? Is that, I think that this is where we get to do my cool thing. I've never made a oh, cool yes. thing. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The cool thing. So uh, we'll pretend like we didn't miss it. And I'll say, you know what? Everybody loves a picnic, and Australia loves to drink. And what we need is the vaccination numbers to go up so we can all, as a country, come back together. And that's why I think this is the advertisement we need to go to the heartland of America. Hit it, Richard. You can get it at a clinic. You can get it if you're a sick can get it at the Olympics. A COVID-19 thirst needs a big cold shot. And the best cold shot is Vax. Vax Bitter. You can get it at the chemist. You can get it at a store. In a couple of weeks, you'll have to get one more. Herd immunity demands a big cold shot. And the best cold shot is Vax. A long You can get it in your left arm. You can get it in your right arm. You can get jabbed till you scowl. Matter of fact, I got jabbed just now. A world-crushing pandemic needs a big cold shot. And the best cold shot is Vax. Vaxtoria Bitter. Hey, Tommy, Dean, thank God for Tommy, lockdown. Worth the wait. Worth thank the goodness wait. for lockdown. You're so bored, you're starting making audio items for Thank I'm God I'm It's Friday. audio items for Thank God It's Friday. <laughs> I'm doing a little two-minute podcast. Yeah, that was good, James, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, that really threw me back to being a teenager because quite like the original ads that they refer to, I wanted this for a long time, but I was considered too young, so I couldn't get any. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, now, who won hearts by setting a new high bar for a tribute? Gene Kitson. Oh, I love high bar. That's hilarious. Well done. That's really good. That's about the guy, Ben Jackson from Gyra, who got all his sheep. He fed them in a way. Well, it starts... He wanted to go and visit his dying aunt and wasn't allowed to go over the border. So instead, he he made a tribute to her by feeding his sheep in a way that they created this huge heart. And you see it online and it's really beautiful. All these, all these sheep look like 
grains of rice moving on their own. They're a bit weird, actually. But it looks like <laughs> a, sort of a sheepy sand painting emerging as this big heart evolves out of a – he must be filming it from a drone or something. And, and it's really, really beautiful. And it's inspiring. It's Can- real, You know, I'm, I'm inspired to do something similar. How are you going to manage that on and, and your, uh, you know, uh, small backyard plot? Well, no, but I've got ants and I figure if I just put the ant rid out in a heart shape, it might sound a bit heartless, but if I put some nice music to it, that might be all right. But, you know, I know Gyra and they have tomatoes up there and I figure he's just set set the bar high, as you say, bar high. And I think the tomato growers should put make trusses in the shape of hearts or, you know, the Dove of Peace is quite popular, or even a, a, a coronavirus tomato truss. That we could, <laughs> I'd, I'd look at that on Instagram. James like Colley, this this little video the farmer has made, the guy of farmer has made, has gone around the world. Everyone just, it's so it's so Australian and uh, you know uh, romantic and 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 touching. Yeah, it was a stunning video. The only problem is whenever I see a whole bunch of sheep moving about, I put me to sleep instantly. But <laughs> other than you, that, you made the I mistake of stunning. counting them, James. Yeah. I just wanted to know how many they were, and it fell, it backfired on me terribly. <laughs> I, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was a very Australian tribute. It was much better than uh, the Dan Andrews tribute that he gave to us, where he he did that stirring re- rendition of Kaysan, except for in his version, the last plane out of Sydney is a COVID risk. <laughs> I thought this was a much nicer song. Tommy, did you find it moving, or, or with your hard heart, did you? Uh, no, no, you know... it was. I I thought it was beautiful, um, but it was. I can't see sheep. Moving without hearing in my head. He laughed. He laughed. He laughed. He laughed. <laughs> I used to watch it. It was one of the first shows I remember ever watching in Australia was Sheep Trials. Yeah, yeah. And it was... Um, on the ABC. On the ABC. Yeah. It was, and that's all I remember. It's just the, the sound of the old guys. He laughed. He laughed. Come around, laughed. Yeah. And those wonderful Kelpie right. dogs doing everything. Somehow translating that into Kelpie. Yeah. I don't know how. It was beautiful, but I, I don't, I don't have the that you know. I, I've always admired large scale art, um, especially you know like alien crop circles. But but at a low level, I can't do it. So m- the closest I come to that sort of romance is, is I can pound chicken breast into the shape of a heart. <laughs> How romantic is for that? schnitzel night? <laughs> for schnitzel night. How romantic is that? Uh, we have James Colley, Jean Kitson, and Tommy Dean with us for Thank God It's Friday. Now during lockdown, there have been new territorial hostilities in most households with various household members making claims for the best work spot, the best sitting in the sun spot, the best chill out zone. What are the territorial battles in your household and how are you resolving them? James Colley. Well, I'm actually in a uh, long-running cutthroat battle with my physical and mental equal, a nine-month-old cavoodle. Uh, <laughs> we debate many topics. Who who owns all the socks in the house? Uh, does the carpet look better covered in torn-up paper? But our major dispute lately has been whether Brando the cavoodle should be allowed to sleep on the bed. And it's a, it's a difficult and it's an ongoing argument. And it's very tricky for me because I go to bed convinced I have won the argument only to wake up and find out, actually, I lost. Yeah. There is an answer to the question of whether you should be allowed on the bed, which is yes. Just give up. <laughs> you know it's inevitable, don't you? You know it's ne- How cute is this dog? 
Uh, he he's unfortunately looks like a teddy bear brought to life, and he knows it as well. Okay. He he is um he is a himbo. He is a male himbo. He is a uh, beautiful. He's not too clever. Yeah, well, but he give, has certainly outsmarted me. Give up now. In, give up in now. In his mind, like my dog, it's the the argument isn't whether he should be allowed to sleep on the bed. It's whether you should be allowed to sleep. <laughs> on the bed. Like my dog will literally because he my wife has let him sleep on the bed for ages. And and if I walk into the bedroom first and she's not there yet, he will instantly get off the bed and run and find her and then come back with her and look at me as if to say, told you, <laughs> then climb right back up into the bed. I love the way that Tommy identifies his partner as having the moral failing here, you know, the initial moral <laughs> failing that led to the collapse of all civilization in the household. But I, it's, it's, it's insidious with dogs because what's even worse is you can finally work him into a spot where we're all comfortable and then say in the middle of the night, I have to get up and go to the restroom. And when I come back, he's gone right back over into my side, yeah. taking over my pillow as if he's, oh, he's probably not coming back. Yeah. Well, Why would he come yeah. back? Oh, James. I'm having a lot of problems with mine in a similar way that uh, he has acclaimed himself a great dog detective, a dog detective. And he's currently on the case of who comes by and steals our garbage every week. Yeah, yeah. So he will he will alert us every time it's happening. He'll sit at the door and he'll bark loudly to let us know that they're back. They're back just as he suspected at the same time they were here last week. And they're taking our garbage again and they're driving <laughs> off with it in a big yeah, truck. Yeah. Well, my dog does that, obviously. Um, but he, he's also really on to the fact that some uh, children are walking past our household. You know, how dare they? Uh, they're going to the uh, and he's he's absolutely one with the police commissioner. He's absolutely one with Mick Fuller. He knows that they're in groups of three, and they should only be in groups of two. And that's, I think, I think, exactly. I think my dog's a protester. Can I chime in with my dogs because uh, the territory is definitely not between the humans in my house either. And if only someone had told me about this territorial battle that happens when you have animals. So, like the humans in our house, we have four humans and three animals, a dog and two chooks. And the humans follow the Geneva Convention and we respect borders and boundaries. We follow rules. And the animals, it's all guerrilla warfare. They, the dog, if I sit on the couch, our dog jumps up and he always brings something really stinky and wet that I'm supposed to wrestle him for. And I'm don't, talk, to... don't talk about your husband like that, Jean. <laughs> <laughs> Go and have a shower. Take that man up to the bathroom and then if i get the dog outside he'll go into our territory our private territory and then he'll bring things like the toilet brush or or um the bath mat or old bones or he just he or, or shoes or or slow moving guests he'll bring the, you know like he, he does that and then and then and then it, if he's not allowed, if, he, if I take all the human stuff off him, then he chews up sticks and bones until they are like shards of shrapnel left scattered all over the floor that you tread on and they really hurt. And that's, I, mean, I haven't even got to the chooks yet. What the <laughs> chooks? The battle with the chooks. You, oh, you need a, it's like China. You need a rules-based order, don't you? Um, Tommy Dean, who's winning the territorial battles in the household? It's kind of laid out uh, in proper demarcations. Uh, I do all the cooking, so the kitchen is mine. Uh, I do have to uh, secede time to it for lunch breaks. Uh, the girls, it's actually an opposite territorial battle. They, we have to fight them to get out of their room. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they're like so in their room all the time. Like all the cutlery and, and plates disappear. Like the other night, my wife and I, we, we've gotten used to having dinner by ourselves, and we noticed that we were eating our dinner 
off of pot lids. <laughs> and I was like, didn't we used to have plates? <laughs> so we had to demand a truce and barge into their territory and claim back all of our forks and plates. <laughs> I, do, do, your, do your twin daughters know the Prime Minister? Because I think he's, he, they're the ones he was talking about with that film. I they, know, but I said, you should watch The Croods, and they said, oh, Dad, Jesus, grow up. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the cave. The cave is their bedroom. <laughs> they're quoting Socrates to me now. I'll tell you what the cave is, Dad. The cave is human experience, and we are just shadows. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's all in Plato, isn't it, according to the Plato, daughters? Sorry, Plato, sorry, Plato. Well, you know. Was that Socrates? Yeah, it's kind of the same. One, one, one is reporting the other. That's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Now, the, James Colley, Gene Kitson and Tommy Dean are with us. Are you ready for the Wheel of Death? Oh, I've been waiting all week oh, for this. Okay. Ladies I've and gentlemen, here are the topics uh, sent by our wonderful listeners. Uh, pajama don't pants. don't feel like you have to be left out, James. You jump right in there. You just drop me in there. Pajama oh, pants, wattle, stranded, donkeys, spies, ferris wheel, curry, antenna, crickets, tomato sauce, Ugg boots, memory, wheelbarrows, and meerkats, which which topic fills you full of fear, oh, Tommy? Man, I, that one, memory, because I'm not convinced I yeah. can speak to it. Yeah, that's pretty hard, isn't that? Very philosophical. We'll see what comes up. Round and round and round it goes. Where it stops, nobody knows. Today's Wheel of Death topic for Mr. Tommy Lockdown Dean is... Uh, Ugg boots. Oh, Ugg man, boots. That is, that's right in the heart of... That's, that is... That is lockdown. It's very lockdown, isn't it? Because that, that is literally all of us in the house here own Ugg boots. Mm. And all of them are in various states of disrepair. Uh, my, one of my daughters is the, from the heel to the middle of the foot has disconnected. the, So it, it's almost like a flip-flop effect. Mm. So basically, I can tell who's coming near my kitchen <laughs> by what flip-floppy sound... <laughs> I, I, you know, my wife's are slightly bowed outwards, and so hers has like a heel-to-toe clop. Ava's flip-flops. Zara has like a stone stuck in the groove that she's yet to take out, so it's every other step. You know, silence, clack, silence, clack, silence, clack. <laughs> so <it's, laughs> James, so, uh, James? I actually um, purchased uh, my first pair of Ugg boots, but I purchased them while on holiday in Los Angeles. And I had someone in the Ugg boot store in LA, an American, explaining Ugg boots to me. And I thought, how very dare you? Oh, that's, ter- that's I, terrible. I, I do not explain predatory insurance to you. I do not explain <laughs> obesity to you. How dare you talk to me of my national pastime? He's going to tell you what a kangaroo looks like next, yeah? <laughs> So you can though, see, I would well, think you could put all the Ugg boots in the shape of a heart. Would that be romantic? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have... The whole sheep thing. Be nice. But they're, they're, I, they were one of the first glorious discoveries uh, of Australia. Uh, we didn't, you know, I moved to Australia in 1992, and Ugg boots hadn't really crossed over uh, at that point to America. So it was a giant surprise. And I remember, because I grew up, uh, so to speak, in my Australian days in Cronulla, uh, where Ugg boots are outside fashion. Yeah. Uh, so I was. And if, and if and if black, then black tie. Oh, it's fine. Yeah, oh. they're 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 functional. Yeah, twenty four hours a day, uh, inside outside. So I was you know shocked when I moved to Newtown and went to the shop the first time in my Ugg boots, only to be greeted with the hipster notion that there is no way that I should be more than the mailbox away from my house mm. in Ugg boots. 
So they're talking a lot at the moment about the divided city, but it's been around for some time. Oh, always. There's always a little thing that defines the suburb, and so I knew not to do it then. But they are, uh, without a doubt, I call them doom shoes uh, at the moment, because I know that if I have not taken them off by 10 a.m., I am not taking them off for the rest of the day, (laughs) and nothing gets done. When my Ugg boots are on, Ugg boots stay to my whole family. Dad's not doing anything except clumping around and maybe making some bread. <laughs> so you talked about the sound effects of all the other family Ugg boots. What does yours make? Mine, I, I've had mine for so long that there's no sheep left between my feet and the rubber sole. So mostly, they probably make an external sound to other people. To me, my internal monologue is ow, 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 ow. I really need to... Put some more sheep in there. <laughs> <laughs> more sheep in your may. There's a you know it's traditional uh, Australian greeting. May may you may there be more sheep in your UGG boot. Does he live or does he die? On thank God it's Friday. Doesn't matter he if you got your UGG boots on. Uh, he lives. I think he lives. Tommy Dean, Gene Kitson and James Colley are here, here with Thank God It's Friday. Now, Choice Magazine has analysed the healthy lunchbox treats that parents slip into a child's lunchbox in the old days when they used to go to school. According to Choice, they are all rubbish. So what was in your lunchbox when you went to school and how did you feel about it? Gene Kitson. Why are Choice starting to nag us about what we eat? What have they got? What's Choice magazine got to do with that? They're joining all those hysterical committees who always poke their noses into our food and our lunchbox. Here's an idea. We can feed ourselves. (laughs) We don't need Choice to tell us what to eat. We know the difference between a pastor and a pig out. And here's another Here's another idea. We can feed our children too. We don't need, you know, we know what treats are. They are when your children can eat with like four other friends, I believe. That's what they are. So stick to the the washing machines, Joyce. Stick to the washing machines and the stand-up vacuum cleaners and the stoves and the coffee machines and get your noses out of our lunchbox, lunchboxes. And retrospective nagging. Where does that come in? I mean, when I was at school, they're trying to tell us that we what we had for treats were weren't good for us, or what they what our parents put in as a healthy treat. I've never heard my parents say, "I've put something healthy in your lunchbox." I've never heard that in my entire life. Well, what did what did you get, Jean, when you were at school? We got like a pie once a week. We got Sangers. I got bought biscuits that I would then swap with my friend who always had homemade cakes because my mum couldn't cook. And when she married my dad, she made a cake to be polite and he nailed it to the kitchen wall. And that was the last <laughs> time she ever cooked again. So I never had a homemade cake. So And then for fruit, we'd have a, um, you know, we'd have a Tetra Pak, a chub. We'd have a Sunny Boy that was orange. Yeah, yeah. We'd have a Raz that was raspberry, their fruit. And then we had that... Lime one that I forget what was called, but I think it was made of uranium or something like that. I'm not sure. <laughs> or maybe just urine, one or the other. <laughs> and when I went to Rosebud High, oh, sorry, when I went to Ro- that was when I was a primary school, but when I went to Rosebud High in my art boots, mind you, because um, they are formal wear and sportswear, um, we had we bought a packet of chips, crisps, and we put them in a buttered roll. And oh. look how healthy I am now. Chip Forty, lovely. Uh, James Colley, what, what do you think of uh, of this? 
Well, I think it fundamentally misunderstands the playground economy. That these <laughs> treats aren't just about what I'm eating. They are my opening salvo in a new bartering system. It might not be healthy for me to have a packet of salt and vinegar chips, but I can trade that for a Rice Krispie, a Rainbow Python, a few sour lollies. That could be coupled in a three-part trade with someone who got an apple for the day <laughs> for the king of the lunchbox, a packet of tiny teddies. You get enough of these and you get what you really desire, a friend to sit with at lunch. <laughs> I feel it's under- misunderstanding Well, us. that's right. That one pack of chips could be between you and you and escaping a beating. Exactly. That that was ba- you throw it and you run in the other direction. <laughs> Tony Dean, what did you used to get, and and what do you think of uh, you know uh, the the idea that we should uh, we should be better in our lunchbox treats? Yeah, I agree with Gene. Uh, they should just lay off. Uh, you just, they're lucky to get something. Uh, lucky, lucky. <laughs> That's what they should be. My my personal experience with it as a young man uh, went through phases. Uh, for a little while, we lived with my grandmother, and she uh, grew up in the war. Uh, so it wasn't so much about the food that she put in the brown bag and the wax paper. It was the fact that if I didn't bring the brown bag and the wax paper home so she could reuse it for lunch the next day, there was going to be hell to pay. And, and yet she wrapped sandwiches that were mostly made from pig fat. <laughs> And it really did some damage. Like by Friday, my brown bag was see-through with grease. <laughs> I knew exactly what it was for lunch. I remember when uh, personal packets of chips became a thing. It used to be, you know, you'd get a big bag of chips and portion them. But when they started making the fun-sized bags of potato crisps, uh, we used to get those. That was, that was big time. Uh, for the first few days, then you realize there was only four chips in them. <laughs> Now, that was a great disappointment. And then when you realize that there was no fun at all in a very tiny Snickers bar. Uh, so for a long time, I, I felt like I was a Lilliputian. Because uh, <laughs> mom just bought all the miniatures of everything. So I'd get half a sandwich, a fun-sized Snickers bar, and four chips in a tiny bag. And that... Yeah, either I've got an abnormally large hands or mom's ripping me yeah, off. she's ripping me off. <laughs> and then she, then, she, then she went through a, a healthy phase. And that was the worst when she would cut celery and carrots into sticks yeah. and, then, and then put in a little bit of homemade dip that she'd made. That's abuse. <laughs> it's abuse because it wasn't even proper dip. You know what it was? It was leftover dressing that she used to make potato salad. Oh. <laughs> We're back to the potato salad. But all of it was this, my mom made the same potato salad, pasta salad, coleslaw. It all was made with the same dressing, which was mayonnaise, yellow mustard, sugar, and a bit of vinegar. Salt and pepper. That everything no, tasted taste the same. The same. <laughs> <laughs> and that, so that was my dip for the, the, the healthy sticks. Uh, and then she went through a note phase, and that was embarrassing. A note? What? You know, you put a little note in, you know. And, Love you, know, you, you Tommy. Know, no, yeah, that's what it should say. But it would, don't forget when you get home, do the dishes. <laughs> yeah, it's just like a like, like nagging from afar. Like you, I couldn't even get through a school day without my mom's voice in my head saying, "Oh, by the way, you know, be sure to walk the dog when you get home." Come on, uh, trying to eat my four chips in silence. I mean, you mentioned the wax paper in Australia. If it's in America, but in Australia, the really lucky duck kids got multicolored, rainbow-colored oh, wax paper. Yes, what? I remember that. Yeah. I remember the rainbow paper. It was outrageous, and the, some of us just had the ordinary plain wax paper. 
Well, you know, we, I never, I had so, my memory of school lunches is that I very seldom had them because my mother never made them the night before and then she had nothing to make in the morning. So she'd say, don't worry, I'll bring you lunch at lunchtime. And then I'd be out there at lunchtime. Everyone would be sitting in their group swapping their lunches like James was talking about in their little groups. And I wouldn't have my lunch and I'd be waiting by the gate. And then just as the bell went to go back inside, mum would come with my lunch. She was always <laughs> late. It was em- it's embarrassing. I can't, I'm, I'm traumatised by it now. But it was always a bought sandwich. So that was quite nice. But that seems to be the the modern. I remember it was like a you know the crossovers. I remember just before lockdown started, we got a note from our girls' school uh, reminding us that it's inappropriate for so many of them to order Uber Eats. <laughs> <laughs> James, this is, James, this is actually the the greatest haul I ever witnessed in my primary school days, which was a young boy ordering a a king's feast from the canteen, ordering food after food after food, and then he dropped. Very confidently on the counter, a $500 Monopoly note, and he was out the door before anyone. I wonder so often, where is that young boy now? I think he's robbing casinos. I think he's leading the Australian Stock Exchange somehow. He's or running casinos. CEO, exactly. Uh, James Colley, Jane Kitson and Tommy Dean are with us. Uh, now, you are only allowed now to exercise in your neighbourhood. So what's the local fitness challenge in your area? And how can you turn the place into one large outside gymnasium? Tommy Dean. Look, uh, I'm not a big fan of exercise. Uh, so I think uh, my, I just take it in small steps. So there's like a wood. It's, it's wood. I don't know what to call it. It's like a bollard. It's at the end of it. Our street is a dead yeah. end into a park. And there's mm. like a, a wood trellis to stop vehicles from driving into the park. Um, so I use that as like... Old man parkour, I call it. <laughs> um, so they're going to take the dog into the park to walk. You know, we walk to that. And in the old days, I would just walk around it. But now, for the extra exercise, I climb over it. Um, and I imagine that I'm springing up onto it and then springing off. But in, in reality, I slowly approach it. Uh, I lift one of my legs over the top of it and then shimmy my bottom to the other side so that my gravity center shifts. <laughs> and then I pick my other leg up. And go over and then, oh, rep one. Yeah, old man parkour. <laughs> and then there's I'm a very, little far- I'm very disappointed. I thought you'd be, you know, you, the Cooks River is just there at your doorstep. I, I, I thought you'd be swimming up and down the Cooks River. Uh, that, we used to do that a lot. And then uh, the tests from the lab came back. <laughs> <laughs> so I've been warned that uh, there could be some ongoing problems in my older years if I were to continue with that habit. <laughs> He's mostly heavy metals now. Yeah. Uh, James, James, James Colley, have you managed to, find, to turn your suburb, your lockdown suburb, into a, into a gymnasium? Well, yeah, there are so many um, exercise programs now when you're out in the big wide world that are are built on like military regimens and toughness and all of these things. And luckily, we have the army in town, so you can really test one to one how much faster are you than a soldier. (laughs) Um, We also have like a, a lovely bit of water down by the bay. 
And um, there's, there's, I, I went out early in lockdown, and there was windsurfing going on out there. And so I like to go down now, and I exercise my mental ability to think, how the hell do you get into windsurfing? Do you, do you have, <laughs> you want to fly a kite and surf at the same time, but you just don't have the time? I, I, I spend my day trying to work these things out. You'd end up in the drink pretty quick, wouldn't you? Gene Kitson, can you turn your suburb into a gymnasium? What are, what are the challenges, the outdoor challenges? Easy, easy. I'm like... Uh, Tommy, I love exercise. So last night I put the bins out up six, count them, six stairs. And this morning I brought them back in again. So that's my workout for the week. That's right. You should see how many empties are in that recycling. It's a heavy (laughs) bin. (laughs) (laughs) I put them out one night and I heard a neighbour go, shh. (laughs) And we're rattling so much. But anyway, that's another story. But, you know, there are so many dogs in our area, speaking of dogs, that if you go down the dog park, there's just balls flying everywhere. It's like paintball without the paint. <laughs> and you're just dodging balls and then you're dodging people with masks and then you're dodging people without masks and you're dodging frisbees and sticks and balls and dogs running everywhere. It's it's really dangerous actually but great but it's a good workout great exercise who were the winners and losers of this week james collie well, my winner of the week was the number 700, because before this week, if Sydney Siders had seen the number 700, it would have been shocking and depressing. But after this week, 700 is a beautiful relief. It's in my top 700s. It's a wonderful number. Even 800 was starting to look pretty good today, wasn't it? Uh, and who was the uh, loser? The loser of the week for me uh, would have to be Teddy Bears because while it's been a huge week for picnics, if every bear that ever there was would gather there for certain, that would still be a massive violation of COVID protocol. Five Teddy Bears at a time, please, no more. Tommy Dean, winners and losers. Look, I'm very excited. Of course, uh, AFL finals uh, begin, uh, well, tonight. Uh, but Sydney starts its campaign tomorrow in Tasmania against GWS in one of the oddest seasons yet. So it's very exciting that uh, we would have had a home field advantage in uh, Tasmania. Uh, So that's exciting. Uh, But very excited about the Sydney Swans' chances. And then uh, not so much a loser but a loss. Uh, The great Charlie Watts, of course, the drummer for the Rolling Stones goes. And I was reminded how, you know, the Rolling Stones technically are before my time and then they are of my time. And then I, uh, in in memory, was playing some Rolling Stones in the car with my daughter while we did LP training. And... (laughs) Just surprisingly how often she would say, oh, that's that song from the Spider-Man movie. <laughs> she, knows, she knows the songs, but in a very different context than I grew up with them. Exactly. And, and Jane Kitson, who were the winners and losers? Well, way out west, the winner is the Armatry Pub, which you're familiar with, Richard, which has turned itself into a vaccination hub with a bar. So there are no shy vaxxers out there. That's right. Two, 200 done by the Royal Flying Doctor Service in one afternoon. Brilliant. You see, they might have lost the power of speech, but they're not contagious. <laughs> and the losers are the anti-vaxxers who will have to cut their own hair. No, no. And given their health and safety <laughs> skills, they may even take an ear off. Yeah. So we'll and be who, able to recognise it. And who needs, an anti-vac- who needs a vaccination certificate? You'll just be able to tell from people's hairdo. You'll be able to say, <laughs> they're not vaccinated. But that woman with the beautiful do... Well, she must be. Exactly. Hey, uh, we're out of time, but thank you to James Colley, Gene Kitson and Tommy Dean. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for being part of Thank God It's Friday next week. Gene and Tommy will be back, joined by Alice Fraser. The music will be Paul Kelly from The Before Times. Until then, I'm Richard Glover. And thank God It's Friday.